down the road the other day and uh, we had two of the grandchildren in the back seat and um, I, the reason I bring this up is I heard Crystal say something during that song and I was wondering where it came from um, but anyway the grandkids are in the back we had the five-year-old and the one that just turned one not long ago and they're in the back seat and the five-year-old begins to sing this praise song I mean he is singing to the top of his lungs and, and the little one-year-old who cannot say granddaddy yet is singing with him. I mean, saying the words. And I'm sitting there like, that blows my mind. Well, about halfway through it, <laughs> Zion, the five-year-old, I, I look in my rearview mirror, he's got his hand, sing it out, y'all. That's, I mean, <laughs> evidently, he hears mom practice or something. I don't know. But anyway, it was a cute little scene there in the back seat of the car, I must say. Well, we do want to uh, definitely remember our teachers as they're going back. And I just want to say this. I, I may have said it last year. I don't know. But I I remember in the sixth grade, my parents had just gone through a divorce, uh, probably the most, one of the most difficult times in my life. And uh, I remember going into school, I was going to a new school, we had moved away and I went into that school and not sure what to expect. And uh, there was a sixth grade teacher and I will never forget her who just made me feel so special. And I'll be honest with you, I was one of those kids that was acting out some things that uh, really, I wasn't a troublemaker, but during that time, I was acting out evidently because she got onto me a lot. But anyway, um, <laughs> but you know something? Even though she got on to me, I knew that teacher cared about me. And there were times in which she would just, uh, near the end, she'd just come up and give me a big old hug. And, and you know something? It took me years before I realized what she meant to me. Years. I, I'm talking about like in my early 30s, I started reflecting on some times in my life. And I look back to that time and, and I remembered and, and I tried to get in touch with the lady just to tell her what she meant to me because I didn't really see it then. Uh, but come to find out she'd already passed on. But you know something? You teachers, you have... You have you, I mean, you have a great impact for the kingdom in that child's life. And, and you know something? Why I never heard that teacher say the name of Jesus. I saw Jesus in her. I really did. I have no doubt she was a believer who saw a kid that needed a hug, saw a kid that was going through one of the most trying times in his life. And you teachers, I just want to challenge you to be that teacher this year. All right. Now, if you were to come to me and ask, what can I do to live a life that offers peace and fulfillment and will benefit those around me? You know what I'd tell you? I'd say turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, what I'm getting ready to do is, is basically a very practical message. It's simple. It's not deep. It's to the point. If you'll just do these things, I guarantee you it would transform your life. And, and then what's really amazing is the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter, it's not that, that I really have to say a whole lot about what you're, we're going to speak about. He just puts it out there. He says, it's just simply this. If you will simply live out what I'm getting ready to tell you, it will change your life. And he does a good job of it. So today we're looking at the idea of flourish. Flourish. Flourish when living in truth. So look at the introduction. In this text, Paul gives us uh, seven practical foundation steps. Now, I've, I've narrowed them down to five, and I'll show you how in just a moment. Concerning how to live a successful Christian life. These statements are in the present tense. This is important that you get this. They're in the present tense, meaning the context 
content of these statements are to be continuous. It should be something that is always present in your life. Now, for the Christian life to be successful, these statements that we're about to study will need to be in effect in your life. Now, I want you to think of this. For this sermon to speak to you, you must have the perspective that God wants what's best for you. You see, the problem so many times is we're not sure that God wants uh, uh, the best for us. Sometimes we go through things that just blow our minds. Sometimes we go through things that are just earth shaking. I mean, it really is. It's almost like the whole foundation, something can come to our life where the whole foundation seems to be shaking beyond, below us. And so many times we wonder, does God really care that I'm in this situation? Did God not get the note of what's really going on in my life? Well, you see, you've got to look at it from a different perspective. And that's what I'm going to help you see today. But the thing you've got to keep in mind is this. God wants his best for you. It may not be the easiest way. It may be very challenging. It may be something that takes you to the end of yourself. But God still wants the best for you. Keep that in mind as we're moving through this section this morning. So the first thing, look on your outline, be joyful. And it's the whole idea of turning sorrow to glory. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16. He says, rejoice always. Now think about that. Rejoice always. Your heart is to be filled with joy when? Always. 34 times in the Bible, it records that the believer is to have joy in all situations. Now, a down in the mouth, always complaining, fault finding, critical Christian <laughs> is a poor testimony of the Christian faith. It really is. Matter of fact, you, you think about it. If you're out there and that's what you're hearing come out of a person's mouth, is the first thing in your mind, is the first thing you're thinking in your mind is, well, they must be a believer. No, you're not thinking that at all. You're wondering what's going on. You're, you're sitting there and, you, and, and sometimes you, you can be around conversations where you, you, when you leave, how many of you just feel like sometimes you just got to take a bath? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like me and my craziness with baths. You know, it's like, oh, man, I, I got to go take a bath after that. But here's what's interesting. When you begin to look at this whole idea of joy, it's probably not what we think it is. You see, when Jesus comes into your life, he brings a joyful disposition into your life. It's not one that should be marked with misery. It's not marked with grumbling and complaining. There's a joy that is to set up in your heart. Now, let's look at this. This is why we may be missing it. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Did you know that? Look on your outline. Happiness, it is determined by your outward circumstances. What are those things that happen outside of you? Your happiness is determined by how you respond to those things that happen to you. And y'all, that's not the same thing as joy. There's some things that happen in our lives that's hard to be happy about. How many of you realize that? But did you know that those things that we find that are hard to be happy about, we can still have joy in some of those things? I'll show you that in just a moment, but that's what, it's not the same thing. Next, happiness is a choice. It is a choice. It's not so important about what happens to you as much as how you respond to what happens to you. You can choose to look at the negative and dwell on the bad, or you can look at the positive and see, maybe there's some possibilities in this. 
So we see that our happiness can be up and it can be down, right? The level of that happiness. But then there's joy. While happiness is determined by your outward circumstances, joy is determined by your inward condition. It has nothing to do with the circumstances of your life. It is something that is there. It is a part of who you are. There's a natural disposition in you in which there is joy. Because, and, and let me tell you why there's joy there or why there can be joy there. It's because you see something bigger than your circumstances. You see something bigger than what you find yourself in the middle of. So something, this is something, this idea of joy is something that takes place in the recesses of your heart. Let me tell you something about joy that I found. It, it, it's, like, uh, it's like a muscle that must be developed. Now, I, I know when you look at me, you, you, I, the shirt's just real big, but I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty stout. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. No, I'm not really blue. <laughs> Lie, I'm already lying up here anyway. But when you think about a muscle, well, I mean, think about it. You, you got to build that muscle, don't you? You got to discipline yourself to do something about that muscle. And, and, and the thing that when, with joy, it, it takes discipline to build that in your life. For one thing, your perspective probably has to change. For another thing, that perspective won't change if you're continuing to respond to things the way the world responds or you're continuing to respond the way your flesh responds. You've got to find a way in which you respond the way God desires you to respond and it will come by way of truth and what you believe about God and what he says about you. That's where your joy comes from. It's that condition. So while happiness is a choice, Listen to this, joy is really a gift when you think about it. The Bible says in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and we could keep naming. Think about what he says, love, and then there's joy. When you see the idea of fruit in scripture, here, here's what this means. It's something that is done or believed that produces something. It is something that you believe now, maybe you didn't believe it before, but now that you believe this, maybe it's who you are in Christ, or maybe it's more information about your salvation and what that brings to your life, or the fact that your home is in heaven, or whatever it may be. It's, it's something that you allow to come into your life in such a way that it produces something because you believe it, okay? Now, can you think of something in your life that you believe that produces something. For some of you, it may be the opposite of this. Maybe some of you have some hurt in your life. It's very deep-seated. Can I tell you what's being produced there? Anger, bitterness. You see, fruit can go either way. Fruit, fruit is produced from whatever goes, whatever's planted. So, so what are you planning in your life right now? What are those things in your life that are you putting there? Are, are you critical? Are you fault finding? Listen, are you, I say this many times, but it's true. How many of you just have to sometimes just turn off social media? Because it just gets all in your head and spins you around and you get mad when you hear something. And by the way, they're trying to create these reactions. You do know that, right? They're trying to create all these things in you. And so what you've got to do is you've got to say, okay, what do I need to plant in my life, in my soul, that will produce something that looks like what God wants for me? It's got to be his word. Here it is, Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord, how? 
always. Again, I say rejoice. I mean, think about what he's saying there. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, if you didn't get it the first time, again, I say it. Do it. Wow. Now, you do not get your joy from your circumstances. The Bible says we get it from the Lord. If your joy is connected to your outward circumstances, then your joy will come and go. Now, something difficult, think about it. Something difficult happens at work the week you're going, about to go on vacation. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this in kind of a crude way, not, not in, in a crude way compared to what heaven is, okay? This is gonna come up way short, okay? But I want you to think about it. I don't know about you, but if I know that vacation is coming up, how many of you can handle difficulty a little bit better? You, you know what you're thinking? Yeah, once I get through with this, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. How, how many of you got that attitude? I mean, for, bless your heart, you teachers. It's just starting, bless your heart. But, but you, you know, at the end of the, the school year, it's going to come back around. And, and all those difficult children, you're going to be sitting there thinking, yeah, and you're supposed to love them. You remember I already said that. But, but guess what? They're going to be somebody else's problem next year. <laughs> but you're sitting there and you know it's coming and you sense it. And, and in your mind, you're seeing the big picture. Vacation's coming. But guys, let me tell you this. We live in a fallen world in which if we focus on the fallenness of this world and the fallenness of who we are, we can get very discouraged very quickly. You see, our joy comes from the Lord. Not, our joy not only comes from the Lord, our joy comes from the fact of what he's done on our behalf and what he's gonna provide for us in the future. Because one day, guess what? We're gonna leave all this behind. You see, the problem with most of us when it comes to our joy is we don't have joy when we're short-sighted because guess what? The circumstances will be difficult. The, the challenges of this world will be difficult. There will be obstacles that are placed there from the world, from our flesh, from the enemy himself. There'll be all kinds of things. But the thing that we need to focus on, we need to be big picture thinkers. We need to realize that one day it's all gonna be removed. We'll be taken out of this. And that's where we get our hope. Next, we need to go from being joyful to, to be, be prayerful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it's almost like he, he throws that out there, rejoicing all these things. Again, you know, he's got that whole idea of rejoicing everything. And then all of a sudden he says, now pray without ceasing. Would you think these two possibly go together? They have to really. I want you to hold your place here and turn to Psalm 54. Hold your place, turn to Psalm 54. Now, sometimes circumstances come into your life that cause you to lose your joy. How many of you have ever lost your joy before? You ever lost your joy? Amen. Okay, <laughs> it's not a bad thing, okay? Yeah, it's a terrible thing actually because, never mind, I'm getting tripped up on my words here. But let me say this. Your joy, if someone, let me say it this way. No one steals your joy. Do you realize that? But how many of you think of it that way? If that person had not done that, I'd still be joyful right now. If they didn't cut me off in traffic, if they didn't go so slow in that left lane, I'm bitter about that stuff, y'all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if... If all that, if, if these things were not in play, if they didn't have that reaction towards me, if, if they, we think they steal our joy. No, no, according to the Bible, you know what it says? 
We let them take our joy. That's, that's up to us whether we have joy or not. It's not determined upon the people and the people around us. It's, it's what we do with it. So how do we get all this in place? Well, there's things that may call us to lose our joy. It may be fear, it may be worry, it may be sin in and of itself, it may be stress, but God has a channel by which we can deal with these problems, troubles and difficulties so that our joy may not be robbed or, or that we don't give our joy away. So that channel that we see here is, is, is prayer. Prayer puts us back where we need to be. How many of you have noticed that? that? That's part of the intention of prayer. Now, you could say, well, prayer is, is, is the, for me to do, enjoy the intimacy of the one who saved me, my creator, the, one, the lover of my soul. And you're exactly right. But y'all, let me say this. For me, many times, prayer puts me back where I need to be. It allows me to come before God. It allows the Holy Spirit to work in my life. And we're gonna talk about this in just a moment, but it helps me to get back where I'm supposed to be. Prayer is one of the means God gives us so that the things that happen to us in life do not have to take or have to allow us to lose our joy. Psalms here. This is a Psalm that's written by David. I want you to look at how he does this. Now, now let me say this. If you've never read the Psalms, you're missing out on a whole lot of stuff. Because the Psalms, let me just say this, you will identify with the Psalms. Some of you go through difficult things and you're like, you know, what do I do with this? And, and you're sitting there. Some of you got that whole idea that, oh, it's God and I, everything needs to be just right. And when I'm coming to God, if, even if it's not right, I need to fake it because it's God. How many of you have that? I hope you don't have that perspective. Do you know what the Psalms does for us? Psalms basically, it's an open invitation to come to God with whatever. He can handle it. But, but the thing you'll notice about Psalms, it always, many of the Psalms seem to always start with despair. Have you ever noticed that? But they end with praise. Oh, and this is a perfect one, Psalms 54. David writes this, he says, uh, he says this, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Do you hear desperation here? Anybody ever, anybody ever been here before? Yeah, most of us, right? Hear my prayer of God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me. Would you say his joy is teetering here? Yeah, he's struggling. And oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. That means they don't have a perspective from God. They're working against you, God. They're working against me. They're working against you. Behold, God is my helper. Look, he's quickly reminded of who God truly is. It's almost like at the beginning of the Psalms, he, he lost all perspective, didn't he? He lost perspective as to who God was in his life. He lost possibly perspective of what God is capable of doing. And all of a sudden, right in the midst of his prayer, all of a sudden, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of my trouble and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. You, you see what took place there? Everything changed. There, were, there, was a, there, was, there was a perspective change. There was something that came by way of his prayer, his crying out to God. His joy appears to be restored. Everything seems to be back on track, doesn't it? But what did it take? 
It took him being honest about where he was. It, had, it took him being honest about his heart, coming before a holy God, and God changed everything. Think about that. Think about what he did. He starts his prayer with despair and difficulties, and by the end, David is praising the Lord. Prayer has the potential to turn our problems into praise. What do you do when you get in that situation? Despair, hopelessness. Everybody's against me. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever felt like everyone is against me? Anybody? We get that way sometimes, don't we? We get to the point, it's almost like, what's the use? Everybody's against me. I mean, I don't feel like I can go on. What do you do at that moment? You know what a lot of us do? We do everything but pray. All of a sudden, it's like this downward spiral. It just kind of goes down and goes down. And then people, isn't it amazing how the enemy uses that time in our life to bring certain people into our life? How many of you have ever been in that situation? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, didn't need to see that person. That I just feel like I'm still going down. I, I mean, you just, it's just, but, but what are we called to do? We're called to call upon him. We're to take it to him. He says, take it to him. He invites you to take it to him. But for many of us, it's the last thing we do. Look what he says here. That whole idea of pray without ceasing. Now, what does it mean? Here's what I believe it means when it says pray without ceasing. It means beneath the stream of your conscious thought, conscious thought flows an unconscious awareness of communion with God that at times rises to the level of your consciousness when that consciousness is needed. It means it's always there. Now, let me tell you the other side of what I'm talking about. How many of you ever been around people where if, if, if you don't do something exactly to, to their expectation or if you say something out of kilter, they just fly off? Now, don't look at each other. Don't, don't look at... <laughs> do you know what is in their subconscious there? Frustration, anger. All they're waiting is for someone to trigger it and there it is, right? Am I, is, is that true? How many of you ever been there yourself? We've probably all been there, haven't we? But it means there's just something that just kind of is lying there in wait, awaiting to be triggered. When he says pray without ceasing, it's the same idea there. That underneath the stream of our lives and our consciousness is this awareness of God. And when something hits our lives, what comes up? Not anger, not, not, not frustration, but looking to God looking to God. Does that make sense? It, I mean, think about it. But we're so in tune to the things that our flesh produces, don't we? He's saying, be in tune to what God wants to produce in your life. And that's what he's up to. That's the reason he uses language like this. Prayer is the means God uses in our lives, listen, to change our perspectives into his perspectives. That's a lot of the goal of prayer. So here we go, be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful. It's the whole idea of request to gratitude. Look at verse 18, in everything give thanks. <laughs> is, is that pretty radical? That's radical, isn't it? In everything, give thanks. You just wrecked your car. Thank 
Oh, yeah, you're looking at it real spiritual there. Appreciate it. <laughs> you ever got out of the car and said, well, praise God. Person comes up and begins to apologize. No, just praise God. Not a problem. Just car. That probably should have been, that's the response he's looking for here, y'all. Praise God. He says, in everything, give thanks. How do we know it's his will? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Basically, you know what he's saying? In everything, give thanks. He's saying it's gonna come by way of God, but it mainly comes by way of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. What his salvation produced in your life is something that will be there that will allow you to praise him in everything that happens to you. And that is the fact that our salvation purchased for us, and we're gonna talk about this in just a moment, the fact that the Holy Spirit of God now resides in our hearts. And it is possible because of that, that our reaction can be exactly that. In everything, we're gonna give thanks. You mean to tell me when I get that bad report from the doctor, he says, give thanks? He does. I mean, it comes from everywhere. Oh, think of this. I came across this some years ago. Listen, listen to this quote. It's really a paragraph. Living a life characteristic by thankfulness or gratitude is not natural to our human condition. How many of you agree with that? It's not natural, is it? It's almost like you have to swim upstream to get there, right? He said, it is much easier to stuff our lives with complaints, anger, frustration, and despair. But what benefit do these attitudes bring? How many of you have been there where you should have an attitude of gratitude, but you choose to complain and whine and nag? And You ever been there? I'm glad my wife's sick today, and I think God pulled her out intentionally, to be honest with you. <laughs> but because but she knows that, anyway. I have failed in some of these areas. But you know something? What good does it do, do us? What good does it do the people around us? What benefit? A life that wallows in darkness is only harmful to the person living in it and to the ones they care about. You as parents, what kind of role model are you when calamity comes to your life? Do you automatically go into panic mode? Do you automatically just, oh my God, oh. Or do you just say, you know something? God's gonna take care of this. I don't know what's gonna come of it, but he's fully capable of handling what we're in the middle of. Can you think about, do you think about what that could do to a child and their perspective about what's going on around them? Be, I mean, it would change things. He says, in everything, give thanks. Now, gratitude is the language of the Bible, but what does it mean to be grateful? Look on your outline. Being grateful is a one-time commitment and a decision made in every circumstance. The whole idea that maybe today you're gonna to make a commitment to say, you know something? I, my tendency is to whine and complain and grumble, but today I wanna make a decision before God that, that I want that to change about me. I'm convinced from God's word, that's not the way God desires me to live. And I want that to change. So there's your one-time commitment. But guess what? That decision will still need to be made every time something comes into your life. How will you respond to that circumstance? Listen to this. 
in each episode of our lives, we can either decide to trust that God is working all things together for our good, or we can fall into self-pity and begin questioning God's faithfulness. That's what happens when we go into self-pity. We no longer trust God. We no longer have a faith, a belief in him that is correct. The psalmist said this, God, my times or the episodes of my life, listen, are in your hands. God, the seasons of my life, the times of prosperity are in your hands. God, the seasons of my life, the times of despair, they're in your hands. God, I trust you with whatever comes my way. That's, that's the language here. So God, you're in control. When you think about it, gratitude and joy, listen, are born out of a heart of trust and faith in God. The only way you're gonna get there, the only way you're gonna have an attitude of gratitude, so to speak, the only way it happens is you gotta have faith in him and trust him with your life. Yes. Next, being thankful is not... Is, is not giving away to complaining and grumbling. We've already said this, but that, that, shouldn't be our first, that shouldn't be our first response. God takes complaining and grumbling very seriously. Did you know that? If you don't believe me, ask the Israelites in the middle of the desert. All they did is whine, complain, grumble. God, what have you done for me lately? Do you even care, God? How many of you hear that language? Now, before you start judging them too harshly, put yourself in that situation. Many of us have it a whole lot easier and we still complain, you know what? And, and you know what? God took that very seriously, so much so that he linked it. Listen, he linked their grumbling, their complaining and everything to a lack of faith that they had in him. He basically looked at it and said, obviously you don't trust me. Obviously you can't trust your life with me. So guess what? I think we'll be dying here in the wilderness. Did he take it pretty seriously? Whole generation of people were lost. The Bible says in Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining. Let's be honest. That's harder than rejoicing in everything, isn't it? I'm gonna do everything without complaining. James 5, 9, don't grumble against each other. How many of you, this is hard hitting? It is, isn't it? Here's another one. Being thankful ushers the presence or the awareness of God into our lives. Next, being thankful changes our perspective. I mean, think about that. When we begin to look at it through the lens God desires for us to look at it, and here's where it has to begin. God, I know that you want what's best for me. God, there's times in my life where I don't understand why things are there. I don't know, I know you could have kept those things from my life, but for some reason they're in my life. And God, I, I'm just gonna be honest with you. It, it's tough, but I wanna see it from your perspective. Next, being thankful is being aware of God working on our behalf or your behalf. Right now, I want you to think of the most difficult thing you faced this past week. Real quick, think about it. A relationship didn't quite go to that time, that, it's just not good. Situation at work, some news you received. What's the most difficult thing you dealt with this last week? Now, here's what I want you to do with it. <laughs> I want you to think about all the details of that difficulty. 
all the frustrations and all the emotions that you had through it all. Think about all that. Now, let's get biblical. Thank God for it. That's what he's saying here. Thank God for it. You're like, this makes no sense whatsoever. And it doesn't sometimes, does it? But thank God for it. Let me tell you what that really is. It's a faith step. It's a trust issue that you're about to say, God, my times, my life are in your hands. I trust you with it. I trust you with it. I don't understand it whatsoever. I want you to think about this. When you get to that point, you're on your way to a transformed life. Now, don't raise your hand, but I want you to think about this. How many of you know that your life needs some transforming? And many of you sitting here would honestly say, you're, you're exactly right. There's some areas in my life that need to be transformed. Let me ask you this. When's the last time that's even taken place? That's the process God's working out in you in all areas of your life. And he's basically saying, I want transformation to take place in your life. Now, now, what does that look like? It means a life that is living in truth. It means a life that can now benefit and receive the blessings from God when we get on his page. It means that we can live the life that is God's best for us. Next, being thankful allows grace to work in our lives. Quickly hold your place here and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Some of you know exactly where I'm turning, but I think there's some things there that we have not seen before. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven, Paul is writing and he's very transparent. How many of you love it when the Bible gets very transparent about people's struggles? You know, we love that, don't we? Because it, it helps us to know we're not the only ones. That's the reason you need to read the Psalms. But Paul gets very transparent here and he says this in verse seven, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Now, here's what he's basically saying. He's basically saying, God's called me to something that's pretty big in this life. He's called me to be an apostle. He's called me to, to, to do miraculous works. Okay, how many of you know he did that? He's called me in, in such a way that I actually, he could say this, I'm actually the one that told the story about the person going to the third heaven, saw the throne of God, that was me. He had visions. He had things that happened to him that none of us will ever encounter in this life. And basically he's saying, I understand. But he says, in the midst of that, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. You know what he's saying here? God allowed something into his life that he didn't like. God allowed something into his life that if you keep reading, you'll hear this, that if it wasn't in there, he feels like he could do a whole lot more for God. How many of you feel like sometimes there's just not enough money? If you just had more money, you could do so much more for God. No, you wouldn't. You'd spend that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, probably not. But anyway, but, but it's that whole idea that, God, you allowed it in my life. Why did you allow it in my life? Lest I be exalted above measure, that I start thinking too highly of myself. How many of you ever wondered about the things that have come into your life as to help you not think too highly of yourself? How many of you know that's kind of the given nature of who we are, to think a little too highly of ourselves? 
You see, that thorn in the flesh could have been anything. It, it, it doesn't say. Some people say it was some kind of physical ailment, which probably does lend itself to that. But guess what? I believe it's not mentioned because it could be anything and we could fill in the blank with anything that's in our life that we've prayed over and over again for God to remove and he leaves it there for some reason. He says, concerning this thing, this, this thorn, I pleaded with him three times it might depart from me. Now think about this. This is the guy who actually had a vision of the third heaven. He saw heaven itself. This is a guy that did miraculous things in the name of Jesus. He's praying and God's not answering that prayer. How many of you think, well, God should answer him. Great day, look what he's doing. But God said, no, this is necessary. He said to me, verse nine, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's look at that, my grace. You know what grace really is when you think about it? It's a dynamic force that transforms a believer's life. It is a force that God brings to the equation in our salvation. He brings forward for something that will transform us. God's grace touching our lives. Listen, based on the authority of scripture, God's grace, when it hits our lives, if it's true grace that we've received, if we've truly received it, guess what? There's gonna be transformation. Something's gonna change in us. Our want-tos are gonna change. It doesn't mean we live a perfect life, but the core of who we are will change. And he's saying that. And he's saying, my grace, this dynamic force that transforms people. He says, what? It's sufficient. You know what sufficient means? This is necessary to produce something. This is necessary to produce something. Did you know this should blow your mind that God wants to produce something through your life? What God, what he is saying here is Paul, that force, that dynamic force of grace that's working in your life to transform you, guess what? That thorn of, of the flesh that you want gone so bad, listen, it's gonna stay. Because if it doesn't stay, it's not gonna produce what I desire for you to produce. Yes. Yes. That can go to any of us. Yes. God is saying, trust me, I know what's best. You see what reason I told you at the very beginning of this sermon? You need to approach this sermon thinking, God only wants the best for me. He really does. But isn't it amazing how we think we know what's best for us? You know what? You know how we know what's best for us is what we're longing and, and just striving for. And every breath that we take and every dollar that we earn and everything is moving us towards what we think is best. And then there's times when God says, whoop, let's stop right here. And then we think God's not working on our behalf anymore, don't we? Because we got what we think is best. And God says, no, this is really what's going to be best. And that's the reason many of us are at war with God right now are conflicted, are struggling. It's because we totally misread it. He, look at what he says next. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is not Paul talking. This is God talking. He said, my strength, the power that I want to give you, it will be perfected in your weakness. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Therefore, most gladly, this is Paul talking, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. You know what he's basically saying? I'm gonna be grateful 
for that thorn in the flesh. God, thank you for the thorn in the flesh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we focus so much on, well, Paul wanted it done. He wanted it gone three different times. He pleaded with God and God says, nope. And you know what his conclusion, you know what Paul's conclusion was? I'm going to be thankful for it. He might not have understood it all, but he was thankful. Why was he thankful? That the power of Christ <laughs> may rest upon him. You see, here, here's what you got to understand. Paul wasn't looking for this world to bring his fulfillment, to bring his peace, to bring everything about who he was about. He had the big picture in mind. He knew God one day was going to take him home. He knew it was going to come to an end. He knew that one day, hey, listen, one day, thorn may be in my flesh, all these people out to kill me, persecution coming, but guess what? One day I'm out of here. That's what he's talking about. He goes on in verse 10. I mean, he could have just left it right there. But verse 10, it's like he goes, it's almost like a form of praise. Can you imagine us standing here today and this be our praise? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, let me tell you what took place in this, in this passage. Paul's perspective went from where he was looking at it to where God was looking at it. You see what I'm saying? His perspective changed. He began to see what God was doing in his life more clearly. You know why most of us doubt our salvation? Do you know why most of us are ineffective Christians? Is because we never see that take place in our lives. We never see that God's there. How many of you have ever looked back on something in your life and you thought, wow, I thought that thing back there was gonna take me down. I thought that thing was gonna bury me. I thought it was gonna take everything from me. But boy, I can see how God used that in my life. Wow. So we see that God's up to some things. I guess I'll continue this sermon next week. But I want you to do this with me. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. Because y'all, we unpacked a lot here. And we're just going to have a time of contemplation. And so far in our study, I want to ask you. You do realize that everything I've read to you so far are commands. Do you realize that? Commands that need to be present in your life. So as you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're, maybe, I tell you what, look at the list if it's right there in front of you. While thinking back over last week, do you see how at least one of these commands, if obeyed, would have helped you in a particular situation or circumstance? Can you see how it could have helped you? Do, do you see how it could really have maybe even transformed a situation that you were dealing in? Could have transformed a relationship between you and someone else. Could have helped you see things more clearly about what God's doing in your life. And then the last question is this. Of the commands, which do you find the most difficult to follow? Boy, being thankful in all things or grateful in all things, that's a tough one, isn't it? How about praying without ceasing? How about being joyful in the midst of the most dire circumstances? These are things that can transform 
our lives. I'm going to ask the men to come forward and take the offering. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, what we discuss here today is so transformative. It can literally transform who we are by just taking these simple commands. And Father, we know when we read this word, we see that it's so out of this world. I just take comfort in the fact that your words are, are greater than what this world offers. We don't hear this language in our world. We don't hear this language even in our own inner desires, our flesh. But Father, we see that these words could take shape. And if they truly took shape in our hearts in such a way that, that, that it would literally change who we are. Father, I, I believe everyone in this room probably would say there's some areas in their life that just need changing. There's some areas in their life they know that if they could get under control, that if they could, if they could move to a different place, that they would be a better husband, a better wife. They could be a better employee or a better employee. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just help us to realize that you're calling us to something greater than ourselves. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than this world. And the thing that could be produced in us, if we would just allow your word to transform us, would be greater than anything else this world offers. Father, we thank you for it. Father, we pray you'll take this offering and use it as we continue to make you known to a lost world, to a world that is so much in darkness. Lord, help us to continue to be that light-sending church, Lord, whether it's in other countries or right here in our community. Help us to be faithful to present the truth to this world. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.